there's a collision that we have when faith meets life. Today I want to talk to you about when faith and family collide. It's really a very difficult subject to preach about, but it's a very true subject. It's something that actually has to happen at times. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says, For Jesus himself is our peace. And When we think of family, we want to think of peace. When we think of our lives, we want to think of peace. God spoke through Isaiah about Jesus and His coming, prophesying in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 tells that on the night Jesus was born, a multitude of heavenly hosts, a multitude of angels appeared to some shepherds who were out keeping watch over their flock in the fields. And the angels began to sing or to praise the Lord, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Romans chapter 10, verse 15, the gospel of Christ is referred to as the gospel of peace. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of of peace. But now I want you to read with me in Matthew chapter 10. Find, if you would, verse 34, or follow along on the screen if you need to. Because Jesus tells his disciples something that seems to be quite contrary to the things that I've been talking about in these other verses concerning peace. Jesus said, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I did not come to bring peace. But a sword. How can we reconcile two opposing statements? That Jesus comes to bring peace, but he also comes to bring a sword. How do we deal with such statements like this? This kind of gets us going a little bit. It gets us thinking. Here we have Jesus the peace giver, the peace speaker. And now we have Jesus the sword bearer that we have to deal with. Well, if we interpret this as a contradiction of some kind, or if we want to interpret this as a misunderstanding that, uh, well, Luke just misunderstood why Jesus came or forgot what he said before, now he's contradicted himself, or, or Jesus contradicted himself, then, well, we'd be calling God a liar. The Bible says there is something immutable about God. There's something that he can't go wrong with, and that is that God cannot lie. You see, if God can lie, then he goes against his very nature and he's therefore no longer pure. He is a sinful being. And so he's a liar. Well, we we wouldn't want to say that because we know that'd be a contradiction in the faith. That'd be a contradiction even of the word of God about who God is. It's impossible for God to lie. It would be impossible for God to contradict himself. And we must uh, probably agree that there are some passages of Scripture that we don't quite fully understand uh, the context about because we think maybe they contradict one another. But right here would be some examples of those. But there's no contradiction. Instead, we have to do this. We have to reconcile in our hearts that there is a peace that Jesus came to bring, but there's also a peace Jesus did not come to bring. And one does not contradict the other. The disciples often misunderstood the full meaning and purpose of Jesus and His coming. And I believe many people today misunderstand the nature and purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, don't you? They just don't seem to understand. How can God 
save me and make me right. I've done nothing wrong. I'm not guilty. I'm a good moral person. Why would I even need someone like Jesus? They misunderstand who they are in light of Jesus and even who He is. They misunderstand that Jesus is God in the flesh. So the disciples also misunderstood the full nature of Jesus and His purpose, along with so many of the other Jews. They believed the Messiah would be a mighty king. He would come and bring peace and unity to Israel and He would uh, reap judgment or heap judgment upon all those who had come against Israel and been Israel's enemies. He would administer that justice. So they long awaited and looked for this Messiah to come. But like so many people do today, they acknowledged only certain attributes of Jesus. Not all of who Jesus was. We tend to do that today. We want to think about the good things, the things that make us feel good about Jesus. And sometimes we want to push aside the things that cause us to strain concerning the things of God or cause us to have difficult thoughts. We don't want to think about those things. We don't want to accept those. We just want to talk about the love of God and what peace a new believer encounters when they come to Christ. They experience that love of God fresh and new for the first time, the salvation and forgiveness, that peace that only He can bring. And then, what a shock to them to discover when they realize how different the world is concerning Jesus. How indifferent the world has become toward even you for receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. So we have to grow and understand there's a peace that Jesus did come to bring, but there's also a peace He did not come to bring. So I want to address these two. First of all, let's talk about the peace that Jesus came to give. First of all, the Bible says in Romans 5.1 that we have peace with God. Peace with God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are justified by faith. That, that means God makes us right in Jesus. When we receive Christ by faith, He saved us from our sin. And He also saved us... Well, here's what that means. He saved us from the wrath of God on sin. The wrath of God that is to come on sin. Jesus has rescued us from the wrath of God. We have been reconciled to God. And that's the reason we sing and we preach about the cross. Upon the cross that Jesus died. We just sang a song about that. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing about the blood of Jesus because the blood of Jesus appeased the wrath of God on our behalf. We sing the song in Christ alone just as we did where that second verse says, in Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save till on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. When you came to Christ, the wrath of God was satisfied on your behalf. Amen? So Jesus came that we might have peace with God, but He also came that we might have peace in our heart. John chapter 14 verse 27 tells us, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be afraid. 
Because we've received Jesus by faith, we are no longer enemies of God. In turn, He puts His peace in our hearts. And there may be days, I think we'd have to admit, that we don't sense that peace. There may be days when we feel like our lives have been turned upside down. We feel like God may be nowhere around sometimes. Or days when we sense an internal struggle, struggle where our, our spirit is warring against the flesh. In other words, the, the, the spirit of God within us and our, our spirit man who has received Christ is warring against the desires of the flesh, the fleshly nature. And there, were, there are times where this internal battle and strife is taking place. And as we grow in our knowledge of the Lord, however, we soon learn that no matter how we may feel, it doesn't change the fact that we've been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are at peace with Him. And the more we grow in our knowledge of what that means, the more we have His peace in our hearts. We need to understand and have peace in our hearts. So this is the peace Jesus came to give. But now I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Because I want us to see that there's a peace Jesus did not come to give. This, this gets into the more difficult attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's been given all authority under heaven and earth by the Lord God. When you read in the Revelation, John's Revelation, about the end times. And about you read about the seven... Uh, the vials and the seven bowl judgments and you Jesus is the one who has authority to open these seals and to let loose these things and to speak them to happen in the end times he will make enemies to become his footstool he is in complete control he exercises complete sovereignty so we read this about Jesus. There's a peace though. He did not come to give. Luke chapter 12 verse 49. He said, I came to send fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Oh my goodness. Wait just a minute. Lord, you, you love us. You love your creation. You love every person that you created in this life and you wish you wish it were already kindled that you would send this fire of judgment to the earth? Well, Jesus came to bring fire. That's what we need to understand when we talk about the peace He didn't come to give. He came to, to bring fire. And anyone who's ever encountered fire knows that fire is life-changing. Fire is by its very nature catastrophic. It can destroy. Fire can purify. But in purifying, it destroys what doesn't belong. Fire is destructive. I read an odd story of a fire crew that was called to a house from a man who said his bed was on fire and he couldn't get out. He needed to be rescued. And upon arrival to the home, they found him lying there in a smoldering bed. The mattress was smoldering. He couldn't get up. They rescued him and they doused the mattress with plenty of water and they got it out of the house. They asked him, how did you manage to set your bed on fire? And this is what he said. This is what makes it odd. He said, I, I don't know. It was already on fire when I got in it. It was already on fire when I laid down. What a strange story. 
That someone would lie down in a bed already smoldering. That someone would lie there in a bed, get down in their bed, and here it is, smoking and smoldering and burning. It is very strange to us because most all of us know that you can't be passive about fire. You have to deal with fire quickly or it will consume you and everything around you. Well, Jesus came to bring a fire. You cannot be neutral about Jesus. You can't be passive about Jesus. He draws a line and He forces us to make a decision about Him. To wait another day is to lie down in your own bed, a bed that is smoldering already with the fire of God's judgment. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The wages, what we get for remaining sinners is death. It is death. It is death. And we're all guilty of sin. So something has to change. Well, Romans 23 says, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says that God proved His love to us in this, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, He died for us to give us the free gift of salvation, to give us eternal life and forgiveness of sin. So those who repent and have a change of mind, that's what the word repent means, to have a change of mind, a change of heart, and they turn to follow Jesus Christ by faith, He forgives them, and He will rescue them from the fire of His wrath on sin. So Jesus did not come to bring peace to the unrepentant heart. And how we so often as Christians, we do not like for someone to struggle internally, to stress internally about their sin. In fact, we try to, we think in terms like this, oh, I hope... I'm bringing a friend. I know they're lost. I hope Brother Crispin doesn't preach about sin and all that. Make them feel bad and all that kind of thing as if I'm the one trying to make them feel bad. Look, he did not come to bring peace to the unrepentant heart. Believers want people to have peace while they remain an unbelieving heart. That's the part of the Lord Jesus we don't like to deal with. And that is that he does not put us at ease when our lives are not in in right fellowship with him. He didn't come to bring peace to the unrepentant heart. He came to bring the fire of God's judgment. First of all, through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. That is like the fire of God's judgment. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of judgment on sin. Convicts us of our sin. I want you to... Read, if you can turn there quickly, it's fine. Jude chapter, or Jude is one chapter. Jude verse 5 through 7. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. God has left us examples of His 
fire of vengeance, His vengeance and His fire on sin. God has not been silent. He gives us the convicting power of His Holy Spirit. That's like a a fire that comes to, to draw us and to convict us and to woo us unto Himself and woo us unto godliness. But He says Jesus came to bring a fire, not only a fire, but also division. He came to bring division. Read with me, going back to Luke 12, now verse 51. He said, do you suppose that I came to to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Division, division. That's the same word Luke uses in a statement that he says Jesus, uh, about Jesus, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And then immediately after that, Luke says this, And they parted his raiment and cast lots. They parted his clothing from him. They stripped Jesus of his clothing, and they began to play a game, a gamble. They began to cast lots to see who would get part, what part of his clothing. They parted his garments from him. That word means to bring disunion. There's disunion, separation, there's dissension would be a better word. Verse 52 and 53. For from now on, five in one house will be divided. Now what does that word mean? There will be a parting. There will be disunion. There will be dissension. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So then Jesus, we know, came to bring division. He teaches us that receiving the gospel will cause disunity disunion, dissension, to the point that we may have to part from our closest family members because the disunity that is caused by our faith in Christ is too great. It is too great. He says this without apology. That alone should tell us, or cause us at least to consider His exalted position. How high and lifted up He is that he knows there will be a parting of ways between people because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even family members. He knows, and he says that without apology. Apology. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Above him there is no other. We do not have fellowship, light with darkness. We do not have unity, light with darkness. Oh, there is unity. People try to have unity in marriage, but those who have one is a believer and one is a lost person will tell you there's eventually a time where there is not unity. There is not a unity of faith. There is darkness and there is light. And that's why Scripture warns us about so many of our relationships, so many of our business unions, Dark and light do not think alike. Saved and lost do not think alike. One is bent toward darkness, the other one toward purity and life and light. 
And so we should not take this, however, to mean that we shouldn't strive to maintain peace in our homes, peace with our family members. We shouldn't think that we're just to count them off and cut them off and, and walk away. That's not what Scripture is saying here. We shouldn't cause or say things to cause an unnecessary rift of sorts in our homes. But if our loved ones are offended by the gospel to the point they want nothing to do with us, we must let them go rather than compromise our commitment to Christ. Let me rephrase that. If they demand, if they demand that we compromise our faith concerning the gospel, we have to let them go. That's the hard part of Scripture. That's a hard attribute of the Lord Jesus we don't like. But it's there. It's there. The parable of the prodigal son tells of a father who had a son who desired to take his inheritance and leave home. We know the story well. And he went and he spent his inheritance on, the Bible says, lascivious living, lasciviousness, out of control, over the top, living, not godly living. He left home prior to the proper time. And so he spends all of his money. He does it quickly until he finds himself broke. He is sleeping and eating with the pigs. He's eating pig slop. He's he's in the the murk, the mud, the mire. And, And I think about this story. What a wonderful story. And there are several angles that we have to deal with this story. But one of the angles that we can take on this is that the father did not chase after him. The father had his place. The father had his home. The father had his business that he had to tend to. The father had a purpose that he could not forsake to go after the wayward son. The father remained. He didn't chase after him. He did not send him further supply while he was out living in sin. He stayed home and tended to the things that he had purposed to do. Do you think the father hurt? Sure the father hurt. Do you think that father cried because of the absence of his son? I certainly think that he cried. It was as though his son had died. Thankfully, the son came to his senses and the Bible says he returned to the father and the father ran to him and he greeted him and he welcomed him home with open arms. What are you going to do when faith and family collide? Will you love your son more than you love God? Will you love your daughter more than you love God? What about the young people? Will you love God? More than your parents. Will you love your wife more than you love God? Will you love your husband more than you love God? Your mother, your father. Jesus did not come to bring peace where there is rejection and rebellion toward Him. And then we cannot pass up things that say like this, it's not right for divorce to happen. God hates divorce. So don't hear me saying, well, because she's not a believer, because he's not a believer, we are just got to get a divorce. That's just the only thing that can happen here. No, doesn't like that either. How we have to deal with these issues and, and be in the Scripture and really know how to deal with them. But what we must understand is, is this part of the peace that he didn't come to bring. That's this, judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. Look at verse 54 through 56. 
Luke chapter 12, 54 through 56. Then he also said to the multitudes, and he's talking to the group, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, that's toward the Mediterranean, by the way, you see a cloud rising over toward the Mediterranean Sea, you can see it building up, you can see it coming, you say, a shower's coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, there's going to be hot weather, and there is hot weather, because that's where the desert is, that's where it is. He says, hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? This time. Jesus asked, how is it you do not discern this time? What is this time? What is this particular time that he's talking about? Well, he's talking about his coming in the flesh the fulfillment of His coming, the inauguration of His ministry, He has come. Messiah has arrived. Messiah is working now to fulfill the purpose of God the Father, to come to them and to first, He said, to the Jews, to come to the Jews. And I would tell you that that time came, but there is a this time today as well. If you're here and you're without Christ, how is it that you do not discern this time today? This time. What is this time? This time is the drawing of the Holy Spirit. This time is a time in which a body has gathered together, a congregation has gathered together, and the presence of God is here and dwelling. We experience Him in song as we sing Words of song to Him. We experience Him in prayer as we pray to Him, as we invite Him to be with us. And we experience Him in the preaching and the teaching of the Word. The truth of the Word of God lightens and brightens our way. The truth of the Word brings conviction as the Holy Spirit uses the truth of God's Word to stir us on the inside. How is it that you cannot discern this time where the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? If you're lost without Him... And He's convicting you of His righteousness and of judgment that is to come on sin. How can you not discern this time? He goes on to say in verse 57 to 59, Yes, and why even of yourselves do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary, in other words, the person who is against you, to the magistrate, to the judge, Make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite, the very last cent that you owe. We're in the story. We're in the story. If you are without Christ, the Bible says you are at enmity with God. In other words, you're an enemy of His. You're an adversary. He said, won't you judge what's right? In other words, judge this time. See the truth for what it is. He said, when you go with your adversary, make every effort along the way to make things right. Because if you wait until... You go all the way, when you get there all the way, it will cost you more than you ever realized it will cost you. 
What a picture of those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. What a picture of those who go all the way through life denying Jesus. Denying and rejecting His offer of salvation. Denying the fact that they are sinners who need the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For when they go to the very end, they will find themselves in fire. And there will be no time to repent. He said, repent along the way. Make things right along the way. That is at this time where the Holy Spirit is prompting and judging the intents of a person's heart. Judging the state of a person's life. That whether they are lost or they are saved, and if they are lost, they must deal with it now lest it cost them their entire life in the end. Judgment day is coming. Jesus has a case against you, but you can settle out of court. You can settle now out of court before it's too late. Give your heart to Jesus. Put an end to the war inside your soul against God who loves you and who sent Jesus to pay the penalty for your sin. Wow, Jesus is really straightforward with this. Our faith will collide with the culture. Our faith will collide with our government. Our faith will collide even with family, with family members. And it's almost, it's like this, as if Jesus says, I don't care. I do not care. I am the Lord your God. Serve me and serve me only. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You want to serve me? Serve me. You want to serve everyone else? Serve everyone else. But I, the Lord, do not change. I am God. Above me there is no other. And so he does. He draws the line. There's a line that's drawn through the ages. On that line stands an old rugged cross. On that cross, a battle is raging. Or to gain a man's soul or its loss. On one side, march the forces of evil, all the demons and all the devils of hell. On the other side, the angels of glory as they meet on Golgotha's hill. The earth shakes with the force of the conflict and the sun refuses to shine. There hangs God's Son in the balance and then through the darkness He cries, It is finished! The battle is over! It is finished. There will be no more war. It is finished. The end of the conflict. It is finished. And Jesus is Lord. Yet in my heart, the battle was raging. Not all prisoners of war had come home. These were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Then I heard the king of the ages had fought all the battles for me. And victory was mine for the claiming And now, praise His name, I am free. It is finished. The battle is over. It's finished. There will be no more war. It's finished. The end of the conflict, it's finished. And Jesus is Lord. What is He saying? I came to where on that line that the Lord God drew and the rugged cross that I couldn't go around, I had to look at Jesus for who He is. And there was a battle, there's an internal battle in the spirit of man. There's an internal battle in our hearts and we must choose what we'll do with Jesus. And He chose because Jesus had already fought the battle. He chose to stand with Jesus and the battle was over. The conflict, the internal conflict is over.